0: Welcome to Dad Rocks, a podcast for dads who love music, made by dads who love music. Hello and welcome to Dad Rocks, the podcast about being a dad and loving music and how the two intersect in our lives. I'm your host, Josh, and today my guest is Norwood Pearson. Norwood is a professional touring musician as well as a public school music teacher in the Boston area. He and I have known each other for about 15 years, having worked together at Apple Farm Arts Camp for several summers. Uh, I have to say that it was such a privilege working with him. and We talk about our time together at Apple Farm because not only was he the best guitar player I have ever played with in my entire life, but he is also an amazing educator, a really fun person to be around, and just makes everything kind of better. (laughs) Um, You know, I say that having, you know, been around him a lot and he just has this exuberance about him and this uh, joy of playing and performing and teaching music. And that's going to come out in the conversation that you'll hear very shortly. He's been a touring musician with the Platters and jazz musician Ron Bossi for many years. And we discussed that as well in the conversation. But of course, you know, the main thing and the main reason I had uh, Norwood on the show is that he's a father to a young son. And that has definitely shaped his life, uh, kind of affected how he approaches his profession. Um, And you're going to hear some really heavy aspects of his personal life as a kid that has affected him as a parent. But before we get to that, I do want to say, you know, again, thank you, everyone, for listening to this show. This continues to be a passion project that I do in my spare time. You know, I make no money off of this. Um, I do this because I love having these conversations and talking to these amazing people, uh, some who are semi-famous or fairly well-known and some who you may never know in your life. Um, but I think they have some amazing stories and some inspirational stories that I hope you enjoy hearing. So thank you again for listening. You know, I hope to keep putting this out every month, but uh, if I don't, you know, it's just because my personal life <laughs> is getting in the way. And as we know, family first, job first, you know, and then hobbies. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Norwood Pearson. So it's been about 10 years since we've actually seen each other in person. I believe I stayed at your apartment uh, when I was up in Boston uh, Mm. in 2013. So how are you doing in general?
1: I'm good. I'm very busy. Very, very busy. Yeah. Having, having a toddler at home fills up all the other free time besides work. Yeah. And you were just on tour with,
0: like I said in the, in the beginning, two different ensembles. So first off, how did those
1: go? oh great yeah very different music stylistically so uh i did some shows with the platters and i did some jazz fusion with ron Bossi with jeff lorber as the guest
0: that's awesome and you know the, again those are two different styles We're doing doo-wop with you know essentially <laughs> doo-wop in one and then you know avant-garde you know jazz fusion uh, you know uh, the other mm-hmm. so how did you Get into both, and you know what's the experience in being in two different, you know, types of groups like that.
1: Uh, well, the platters started as a based on a recommendation from a friend of mine that went to Berkeley with me. We both played in a band from Nepal, this mm. uh, this Nepali band called the You Generation Project, and we did a little tour, and then. A little while after the platters needed a guitar player so they called me and i prepped as hard as i could for that gig to impress them and it's been about 10 years now since i started playing with them
0: oh wow i didn't know that was that long
1: yeah yeah i've been i've been playing with them about 10 years um they work with a number of musicians i get most of the east coast gigs and then occasionally I'll get some international gigs. I just did some stuff in Nevada for them in December. Um, so it's been fun there. It's a great group. That music is unbelievably satisfying to play. The songwriting is mm. breathtaking. Some of the, those tunes, I, I play them and I just feel privileged to be able to play them in a really authentic context with the group.
0: Yeah, um, are there any of the original platters in the group now, or is because uh, so, I know, right. you know they've been doing the the platters? Is, is mm-hmm. it the spin, is spinners in the platter, or is it um, who tore they, because they they tour with another group like and they've been doing that for like decades?
1: At this They'll point. commonly do shows with uh, the drifters oh, the and drifters. That's what it's yes, and sometimes you'll get uh, a show with the platters, drifters, and coasters, which I've done a few of those. Um, This group is the direct lineage from the original group. So I joined shortly after Herb Reed passed. Mm -hmm. And everybody has a direct working relationship with the previous singers, including the MD. And the trademark is held by this group as well. So um, if you're going to go see the Platters, it's obviously not the original, but it's the direct lineage. And years ago, after her Reed passed, there was this big legal dispute. There were a bunch of different platters groups coming up yeah. around the country. I was in Branson, Missouri on vacation. I saw a billboard for the platters and I was like, that's not the real platters. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so the 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 manager and the trademark ho- holder, Fred Balboni, he went to war legally with all those other groups and, and mm-hmm. consolidated everyone to this one group. And that's the one you'll see touring around the country and internationally.
0: I don't. I want to do. You know, I want to get back to the Ron Bossi tour and stuff. But Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know, like, what demographics are you seeing? Age demographics are you seeing at these performances? Because this is music from the '50s and early '60s, and our generation probably knows a little bit of it. But I'm sure that the generation who's younger than us and, you know, the you know the kids right now, they probably don't know this music very well. So, who are you seeing in the audiences?
1: Obviously, the the vast majority of the people in the audience are going to be older. So I would say um, the average age is in the 50s. But I, I do see lots of young people at the shows. And, and recently, we just did a show in um, Atlantic City, and there was about 2,000 people in the audience. and but So you're looking out, and I see a ton of young people in the audience. And they're actually singing along with the songs. Hmm. Interesting. Which was really cool to see. Um, some of their tunes have made it into pop culture. So, um, WandaVision used one of their tunes. Um, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button had one of their tunes. You know, they're, they're, movies and TV have incorporated their music still. So, um, there are younger people who will go, I know that song, <laughs> you know, mm. from whatever medium. So it's not all older people at the shows. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Um, and to go back to the Ron, Ron Bossi, like, mm-hmm. how did you get involved with him? Because, you know, I've seen a lot of the on social media you're posting. He, he does a lot of educational videos and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so how did you get involved with him?
1: Uh, I did some recording sessions from a long time ago. I couldn't tell you how many years. It's, over, it's been over a decade since I started working with him and he told me he wanted to incorporate me in some different projects he had so over the past decade plus i've been doing various work for him uh oftentimes he's very prolific in his writing so he likes Mm -hmm. to write things that are really really difficult on guitar so i'm like the stunt guitar guy (laughs) who comes in and he'll literally send me a text saying, can you play this? Is this possible? Right. And he'll bring me in and we'll, we'll work through it. Um, So I'd say the past year or two, he started getting in a working relationship with some pretty big names like Jeff Lorber. He's also, um, you know, worked with Gary Novak and Mike Stern and, and, and all these Mm. Uh, Some of these people have been my heroes, you know, when I grew up. Um, So he wrote a whole album called Burning Room Only. Shout out to Ron. uh, (laughs) That he wrote and recorded with Jeff Lorber. And they did some shows on the East Coast. And so he asked me to come in and play all the rhythm guitar parts for it which was, uh, to me, a real honor and a real privilege just to be on stage with uh, that group because the whole group was made up of just monster musicians. You had, obviously, Jeff Lorber, uh, who's amazing, but uh, the, the Vibes player uh, is Will Hudgens, who's the principal percussionist for the Boston Symphony. Oh, so, wow. So that was crazy. And then you had Mark Zaleski, who's an absolute beast on saxophone, Uh, he's a Berkeley professor and then you had Steve Langone on drums who's a very prolific uh, jazz session guy around Boston and then you had uh, Carlos Silbron, who's a monster bass player from Venezuela so I'm on stage Mm. with all these guys going (laughs) what the heck am I doing here (laughs) you know you're just surrounded and you're you're like like
0: the youngest guy by like what 15 years actually no uh,
1: Mark is younger than me I think the saxophone player okay yeah he's younger and the bass player is younger than me so i'm not i'm okay. not the baby of the group
0: that <laughs> <laughs> just tells us that's a you know in my mind i'm still like oh we're we're young but no no we're, we're actually like you know i'm i'm officially middle-aged now i'm, I'm 40 so yeah exactly like, it's, yeah it's... <laughs>
1: yeah well you know um, it, it, it's like that with everyone you know like we the body ages but the mind still stays right <laughs> you know right and um and do you
0: do you go national with him? I know you, you played Blues Alley and you've been doing some East Coast stuff. But do you, mm-hmm. do you tour nationally with him, or are you just another are you just an East Coast guy with him?
1: Uh, he has plans to tour uh, the West Coast. He also has plans to go to Europe. So those are in the works right now. Um, uh, when it comes to fruition, I'll get a call, hopefully, and we'll see what happens. Gotcha. Awesome. Yeah. And. What's life like you know you have a young son,
0: you've been married for you know a few years to your wife mm-hmm. What's life like on the road being away from them, and you know how does how is does that work for you and how how are they with
1: you on the road um, well i I'm the breadwinner of the family, so when I go out it's it's primarily for work, so m- mm-hmm. music has kind of turned into my work versus you know, something fun I do. <laughs> you know, right. something that I'm passionate I just want to do. Now it's it's a means to support my family. So it's kind of evolved into this new thing. Um, which makes me take it way more seriously than I ever did. Um, and then... I think it's it's hard going out and away from the family. Especially at the age that River is now. Because he... Mm. he I see him get devastated when I leave, so that makes mm-hmm. it really hard, and it makes it almost not uh, not enjoyable <laughs> as an endeavor. Like I just want to stay home and play with him, you know, but I have to go do these yeah. things. So, right. I never thought that would happen uh, before, right. I, you know.
0: Well, I mean, this is the next question. I mean, you're you're going for your doctorate right now, right? Uh, you you when. When we last saw each other, you were teaching middle school. I think it was middle school band, right? Mm-hmm. You were doing you were a middle school teacher in Quincy, right? Or
1: is it Brandtree? Braintree? Braintree.
0: Braintree. Um, are you I'm assuming you're not teaching public
1: school anymore. Or are you teaching public school? I am uh, teaching still? public school still. I my position changed. I went from six through eight uh, to just fifth grade, which oh, wow. uh, simplified my job responsibilities. So I start the kids on really easy music. You know, I go in and it's like, Mm -hmm. let's play Hot Cross Buns today, right? Which is a very different uh, mindset than we got to prep for festival and auditions (laughs) and all this stuff and having that pressure. So that switch has allowed me to have more freedom to do things outside of the school. I would never Mm -hmm. be able to pursue a doctorate or do all these shows if I didn't have that new position, which I just started two years ago,
0: gotcha. So. And you know, even so, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's a lot easier. There's less to do, and you're focused on one grade, and you probably have one concert per you know season to to focus on, and one ensemble, um, or maybe you do have a jazz. Band, I don't know. Um, but how do you still manage to to tour and and keep all that scheduling? You know, kind of in place with a public school calendar. You know, I I find it hard for me to even, you know, find much free time to play a gig every once in a while, especially, you know, with, with my life. But
1: uh,
0: I'm just curious how you can, you know, kind of uh, merge those two lives together and
1: make it work. I, the groups that I play with, they all know I teach public school. So, um, uh, I turn down gigs, you know, so like, Mm sometimes i'll be like i can't do this because that requires all of this time off (laughs) you know yeah um so it it is a it is a balancing act i use up my personal days every year you know (laughs) that kind of stuff yeah um but i you know i turn down more work than i do unfortunately because of that position but uh you know i A family needs stability so like having a um public school job is a consistent salary which allows me to you know help raise a family yeah um i'd never be able to do that as a a freelance musician only so i i value that position very much so unfortunately a lot of the freelance stuff falls by the wayside yeah
0: no I, i get that So to go back to your son, how how old is he? I I mean, he's, I assume he's three. He's, he's, he's three and
1: four months at this point.
0: Nice. What are his feelings and attitudes towards music
1: in general? He has no idea what I do, (laughs) except (laughs) even though I've, I've brought him to gigs and I've had him sit in sound checks, Mm -hmm. you know, he's, he's, we've, literally done platter shows where we do the sound check in a giant theater and he's running around on stage or running through the aisles like to him it's just a playground like i don't <laughs> think he's made the connections of like oh daddy's working right now um so as far, he as far as like what we do at home we sing a lot mo- mostly mm-hmm. he's he's not quite mature enough to do anything meaningful on an instrument he'll bang on the piano or strum right. the strings on a guitar but uh he he does sing a lot and he's very musical mm-hmm. in that respect so that's great you know
0: is your is your i assume you're you know being married to you your wife must be into music as well
1: she's a music enthusiast she's not a musician <laughs> so she has an epic vinyl collection here she has hundreds of vinyl it's oh, wow. it's pretty incredible. She's very passionate about collecting obscure pop vinyl. Interesting. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah.
0: Obviously, you have a lot of music going on in the house. Um, mm-hmm. At the, you know, when my son was three, he had some favorites. He was, you know, and it was changing constantly. But like, he was, he 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 he's a typical kid being obsessed with a few songs and like a group or something or an artist for a little bit and then move on or TV shows are, is your son, does he have any favorites? Does he have anything that he's really hooked on now? Or is it kind of like fluid or, or is he open to anything in terms of Uh, music, listening to music and stuff?
1: Well, since I'm on the road a lot and working a lot, uh, he has his mom's taste in music right now. So a lot of (laughs) pop music, he likes, um, uh, let's see he, he obviously likes Beyonce the jo- Nick Jonas you know that that kind of music you know and anything with a strong beat uh he's really into actually some of the musicians of that have been around him says he's probably going to be a drummer
0: so you'll, you, <laughs> you
1: you would like that yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: So. Well, you better start, you know, make sure your, your place is ready to have a set or invest in a, uh, an electric kit so that you don't have to be hearing him. I'm constantly. getting him a
1: set for Christmas, actually. I'm going to get him a, oh, nice. a scaled down set for his size just to see what happens. Maybe he'll destroy yeah. it in a month, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: and and in, that, in that sense, you know, are you, do you have plans to kind of, you know, as a music teacher, music educator, do you hope that he takes on instruments? Are you going to try to, you know, have him take lessons or are you going to base it on what he's interested
1: in and that kind of stuff? Uh, I have some really uh, high level drum uh, teachers in the Boston area who've said they would teach him, like mm-hmm. who Who? Uh, one of them is a Berkeley professor. So I'm really excited at that prospect. So when he's a little older and more mature, we'll try it. Um, Maybe some piano lessons, singing lessons. I think music is like sports. There's a sport for everyone, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think with music, there's an instrument or genre for everyone. You just have to try things out and see what works. So I don't have any expectations for him as far as what he's going to play or you know what direction he's going to go in with his musical tastes uh but i am going to have him try stuff just like with sports he'll try soccer he'll try baseball he'll try all that he'll try drums he'll try piano you know Mm -hmm. and we'll see we'll see what happens you know maybe he'll hate music and just be like rebelling against me and become an accountant I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that, that that's at, lo, at least as long as he's happy and successful, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's the most important thing, you know. Um, but and does he uh, when you play in the house? Mm-hmm. Does he enjoy it? Does he
1: like hearing you play, or you know, only if you play his favorite songs, kind of deal? Um, right now, uh, he doesn't like that. Um, the guitar takes my attention away from him. Mm. It's almost like the guitar is a sibling and he's fighting <laughs> for attention. So whenever I take the guitar out to play, he's like, "No." <laughs> and he's, he's like, "I want to play this," you know. Um, yeah. So at the moment, <laughs> he's not a fan, <laughs> you know. Gotcha. But we'll we'll see what happens.
0: Do you think that's because he sees the guitar as like the reason why you you leave the house and you know that he doesn't like it because it's the re you know why
1: you leave him kind may, of deal it might be yes or sometimes i'll i'll go off in another room and practice mm. be like not i can't play with you i have to go play with the guitar so again <laughs> it's probably like a, a sibling who's fighting with yeah. yeah yeah
0: do you try do you try to practice when he's sleeping or is or is um or is that it's hard to do because of the noise
1: I'll do it when he's sleeping, but uh, sometimes if I have a really intense gig coming up, I'll have to do it during the day. I've tried practicing with him around, and he's he's not into it right now. So
0: <laughs> well, anyone anyone who's worked from home during the pandemic can tell you that any when you try to do be productive and you have little kids around, unless they're sitting right in front of the TV or playing a video game, you will be distracted like eighty percent of the time. Hundred percent.
1: I just had um, <laughs> I just submitted. Uh, a few weeks ago, my qualifying exams for my doctorate mm-hmm. program. And um, that's a very intense assignment. And I told my wife, I was like, I can't be home to work on this. Like, I can't. So I actually had to get a hotel room for myself for almost a <laughs> week and lock myself away wow. because I I wasn't able to do the um, amount of work necessary with him around. It was impossible. Mm. So. Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're, my wife works from home four days a week and my mom and her parents help out with, with our 11 month old, but when our, or soon to be five year old, he's turning five tomorrow. When he is home on Fridays, Mm -hmm. my wife's like, I get no work done because it's just between the, him complaining about stuff to my mom or my mom asking what to do and like him running into the office. It's just, it's terrible. And, um, you know uh, it's it's interesting thinking back to the pandemic and being like yeah you know teaching from home it's like at the time when i was starting all that it was gravy because my son was two and like right. you need a little, little bit of attention but then you weren't i wasn't dealing with the kids who really need a lot of attention a lot of work and you know especially help with with all the the um all their homework and, and classwork and, and i you know this was not something i was, I was planning to talk about but since I'm kind of on the subject, how was your experience teaching during the pandemic? And you know, I don't know how what what things were like up in Boston, uh, especially in the that the full, first full school year, the twenty twenty one school year. If you guys were hybrid or if you were fully out, um, but I can't imagine teaching music was much fun in general during that time.
1: Uh, it, it was all virtual um, for a long time. And I hated it. I absolutely yeah. hated it. Um, I I considered quitting the profession. Oh wow! It, uh, if it was going to continue, you yeah. know, indefinitely, because you know, like everybody else, it, when we switched to virtual, there was no there was no rule book, there was no precedent for it. So there was so many things we were struggling with, like the kids. Half of them just wouldn't log on, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) or they would log on and shut their screen off and, you know, and, and then the ones who were on, it was hard, it was, you know, you'd have connection issues and like, it's hard to keep their attention for the whole time, like when you're not in the room with them. So Mm -hmm. all of these different things, while it was nice to be home, you know, because we had a, a baby and. Uh, it was just, I would rather work at McDonald's flipping burgers, <laughs> honestly. No, than, I didn't go through I that again. hundred yeah. percent, you know?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I'm totally on board. I mean, I had it easy as a computer teacher because a lot of stuff I was doing was like, I just made it like, oh, you go do this and I'll check in. Like it's, it's very self-paced. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't imagine like trying to keep the attention of three kids virtually and then also trying to i don't even you did lessons online or if it was just i i did private lessons also
1: like on top because i teach private lessons outside of school so having that on top of the virtual learning in public school was an absolute nightmare and i i'd love to say i was like the superstar teacher who just killed the virtual (laughs) teaching and and every kid had a positive experience but i got really defeated and apathetic as time went on you know and i I, i'm saying this you know maybe people are listening and they'll feel like they have the same experience so maybe it'll help validate their experience i uh got more and more apathetic as time went on at a month before we were supposed to go back they would literally log on i'd be like eh, your assignments and smart music i'll be here if you need me (laughs) You know, like yeah. I just yeah. got so frustrated, you know.
0: And when you guys did go back, did you, did they have to wear masks in band? Like, did you do the crazy thing where you put the, the mask on the bell of the horn and kind of stuff? Or was it, um, was we, it kind of just like once you're in band class, it's kind of a little different?
1: It was so, to me, it was so ridiculous. We didn't do the bell covers or anything. Yeah. Um, we called the trombones COVID cannons. Um. <laughs> 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 but, but the um, uh, they would wear a mask and then when they play they would take the mask down so it was yeah. so preposterous you know yeah. but, but uh, funny story um, when we went back um, the spring concert the day of the concert I got COVID so the day of the concert, um, they wouldn't let me in the building. They said, oh God. you're not allowed to do it. Like we've been working and working and working. So the, they got a random teacher, one of the other music teachers, just like <laughs> hours, like two hours before <laughs> the concert, he came in and I'm like, uh, here's the scores. Uh, good luck. <laughs> you know, and he had to conduct it. Uh, it was, that was, that was rough.
0: You know, yeah, I can't, you know, that, that that must have sucked for you too. I mean, be working so hard and then not be able to see the fruits of your labor, help the kids actually, you know, meet that.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm glad, sisters. I'm glad everything's kind of died down a little bit. Like, yeah. if you get COVID now, it's not like a super right. big it's not, deal. It's like getting the yeah. flu, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah I, that's, I totally get it. I And, you know, again, having, you know, being a music teacher was. was a totally different, has to be a totally different experience than a lot of other classroom teachers and the fact that like, you you can't just wear a mask like when you play, like it's, it's, you have to blow you know wind out of your mouth to create sound. The only people who could wear a mask were the drummers probably, and they probably, you know, knowing many drummers, they probably were wearing it on their noses and like, you know, on their heads and stuff yeah, like Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, uh, just to go back uh, a little bit to your son and, and, and how he is and just fatherhood in general, you know, you, you have a three-year-old now. What's the, what's been the most challenging thing so far for you, um, in terms of, you know, having, a a, 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 a basically a preschooler
1: at this point? Uh, just, it's hard. Cause like, as a parent, you, you want to, you, every little thing he does, there's this anxiety of like, is he doing well? Is he not? Is he falling yeah. behind? Is he, like, yeah. what you know? And, um, you know, have every every interaction I have with him, like, is he saying enough words? Is he is he stringing together yeah. his sentences at an age appropriate, at a, right. at a developmentally appropriate level, um, you know. And also making sure that I, I'm there for him as much as possible. It's really what I've learned so far is just time is the most valuable thing. And that's the biggest challenge for me mm. is, you know, making as much time as possible with him. And so when I'm out all the time, I wonder, that anxiety comes back. Is like, am I damaging my child by being out so much mm you know like is this stunting his development you know his mother's home with him all the time but these are the thoughts that i have as a father i'm like i'm not home reading to him at night for like two days three days in a row you know is that hurting his development yeah so that i think that's the biggest challenge i mean i have
0: that challenge too mostly in terms of you know, very, not in the same aspect. I mean, I definitely have those ang- anxiety-driven you know, driven things of like, oh, is my son, you know, is he, you know, is he okay? Like, is he, is, you know, with the baby now, it's like he's not talking as early as or making noises like his brother did, or he's not doing this like his brother did, or, you know, mm-hmm. and before with, with my older one, I like, oh, he's not doing what everyone else I'm seeing on, you know, Facebook, their kids are doing, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, but for me also, it's like, Are my as my actions towards my son, you know, how I react, you know, when he doesn't do something, is that going to affect him and kind of create this the same cycle, like how my father reacted to me doing stuff? And then now, you know, that kind of stuff. And and that's where my anxiety lies. But I totally obviously understand that. And I can't imagine, you know, I I had the opposite thing when my son was your son's age and that I was home a lot because of the pandemic. We were constantly together. And um, so I can't even imagine being away from him for, you know, two days is one thing. I, you know, went on a couple of trips, but to be gone multiple times, you know, away. Um, and my brother's dealing with that right now because he's a touring musician and he's gone like almost every weekend. Yeah, um, that's hard. And,
1: that's hard. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. it's not even like the, his development as, in a competitive sense. Like I'm not mm-hmm. worried about him like surpassing his peers and right. stuff like that. It's it like, that is irrelevant. Like, I don't care about that. It's just, is he hitting the milestones? Exa- exactly. Is it? Yeah. What, Cause he's going to be in school soon, like in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't, is he going to be the weird kid? <laughs> like that doesn't, you know, that, that yeah can't articulate things and, and it's socially awkward. I don't know. It's, it's exciting and also terrifying uh, to think yeah. about looking forward.
0: Well, I mean, the good thing is, is that you know these kids are so adaptable and they 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 take things in like sponges and they just grow. I mean, when we kept my son out of daycare for a year, his social skills definitely plummeted, and then it mm-hmm. took him a while to get back into the the you know the the groove of things and, and how to interact with kids. But within a, f- a month or two, he was he was totally fine, um, mm. and because you know initially. He did not he was scared of being around other people kind of and he didn't want to like interact with others and then mm-hmm. getting into you know back in the mold was, it was helpful um and so i also want to ask because you grew up with a, a single mother um mm-hmm. your your father wasn't as as far as i know he he wasn't very involved in in your life mm-hmm. um or
1: am i wrong in
0: in that aspect
1: no not not really no
0: no okay so yeah. how was your experience growing up in that kind of household with that kind of family dynamic, how do you think that's affected you as a father?
1: Oh, as a father? Ooh, that's deep. Yeah. Um, well, it puts a lot of pressure on me. Right? Because I want to yeah. be the person that ends that you know, in the lineage of my family, right? It wasn't just my father. If you go back, there's my family has a lot of history of neglect, hmm. right? So I think anybody who grew up without a father probably feels that, you know, they they yeah. want to they want to be that person for their kid that they never had growing up, right? The issue that I have is I have no template to draw from. Hmm. You know, so yeah. It's not like I had one that I can look at like I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do this. Um, it's liter- I have no reference point. So for me, it's it's trying to understand what being a good father is, because when you mm. don't have that role model, you can't emulate. Right. So you so.
0: so your grandfathers weren't even in the picture either, or you didn't have no nope.
1: male role models. I had no Just, real male role models growing up, except for um, I had a deaf stepfather hmm. for about. I think five years, oh, wow. and so um, he was great. He's a great guy, but uh, it's not the same thing. So I think that's that's the thing. It's like I'm trying to figure out how to be the best father I could be, you know, from scratch almost, mm. right? Because uh, every my yeah. my whole upbringing, it was my aunt and my mother, and you know, um, you know all all of my. Um, role models in school were women, for the mm-hmm. most part, with a couple exceptions. Um, so e- even through college, you know? Interesting. Yeah. So I, it, it's, uh, I don't know if I approach it with a more feminine energy than a typical, <laughs> pop- I don't know. I don't know. Did you have any reservations about being a father? No, I think I met my wife when we were in our mid thirties. We were both like, "Let's do this," <laughs> you know. Like, I, I
0: meant more, I meant more just based on you know the family history. If if you felt like, shit, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm worried that something's in my brain's gonna like you know flick on you know turn on and 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 uh, I'm gonna do the same thing that's happened to you know my family for you know de- uh, generations.
1: No, because I when you when you grow up without you know a father, you have that. At least for me, it's in the back of your mind your whole life that I'm gonna be. If I'm in a situation where I do have a child, I'm going to be this type of person, you know. So yeah. I was confident that I could do it. You know, there was never any point where I didn't think uh, I couldn't do it. You know, even even yeah. when I was like a teenager, because you 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 can't help but think that you're like, what if I'm the parental figure, like. How can I how can I change, you know, my kid's life that's different from what I am in that right now? So
0: up, you obviously were incredibly into music and, you know, knowing your talents and and where you went to the school for for college, you know, was that always your driving, you know, your goal to be a professional musician or did you want to be a music educator or was was music always going to be something that was going to be a huge part of your life?
1: Um, I think I started taking it seriously around 12 or 13. And from that point, that's what I wanted to do. You know, going for I, I became absolutely obsessed, almost in an unhealthy way. Um, so actually, uh, I think people might appreciate this story. Um, uh, I originally wanted to be a marine biologist when I was a kid. I was really into sharks and all that. Um, so I went to this great uh, place in Maine called New England Music Camp. That's where I got a lot of my music training. And when I was there, I was probably 12, there was this kid uh, in my cabin who was a really great guitar player to the point where I, I would see everybody around him would admire him and bring him into shows and stuff. He was, he was killing it. And for whatever reason, he would jam with me and I was not on the same level. So what, what would happen was um, we would go hang out in a practice room and all I really knew how to play was Fade to Black by Metallica. The, the, the rhythm part, <laughs> other than some chords and stuff like that, but as far as actual songs, that's really all I really knew. Um, so we would literally spend like an hour where I would play that and he would just solo over it. So having that experience with somebody uh, at a higher level who's willing to take the time to just jam like that had a real impact on me. So when I left there that summer, I had this drive that I wanted to be at least as good as he was, you know, not to show him up, but just as as a product of just admiration, right? And so from there, it just built up momentum and I became absolutely obsessed with it. His name, I still remember, his name was Dan Nissenbaum, so if he ever hears this, shout out to him. Or if anybody knows him, thank him for me. But uh, what what is remarkable to me about that is that it could have gone the other way easily. He could have bullied me. He could have put my, my abilities down and completely discouraged me. My life would have been completely different, but he didn't. And that's amazing to me that a... Uh, young teenage boy would actually do that for another person yeah you know so um, that's
0: like incredibly mature for him right so so and and he was he was your your same age or was he older
1: about the same age yeah maybe Mm -hmm. a year older right but um so the takeaway from this is uh, anybody who's listening is you don't know what impact you have on somebody like like to him it was probably completely innocuous Probably doesn't even remember it but for me it was life-changing right so it's something to consider for everyone when you're having yeah. interactions with people
0: well it's, it's interesting and, and i was going to bring it up a little later but it's interesting you telling that story mm-hmm. because that it now all clicks and and everything makes sense of how you approached working at apple farm mm-hmm. when we worked there your approach there was never Like, you showed off. You know, it was fun for the kids to see your talents, but you never made it a point to say, I'm so much better than everyone else, like, by a million years. You were like, let's just play, and let's do it, and you encouraged the kids, and you brought them, you kind of pushed them up to the level that they needed to be without being, like, without having that kind of uh, bravado and stuff like that. And it's, everything's just kind of like, I'm just thinking back to all the those three years we worked together, it's just like it's all clicking and what you're saying and how impactful that um well exactly that and, interaction with the cues.
1: And believe it or not, I've never told that story. Wow. Right? So um the only person I think knows that story is my mother. Right. So like um that's exactly it. Like I look at every interaction with somebody who's not as experienced as an opportunity to help them. You know, you 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 try and model so you don't want to dumb it down for them, right? You want to model, but you also want to be encouraging at the same time. And I, I still do that now. Like um, I try and make a point of um, working with more inexperienced singers and, and artists who are coming up and trying to help them get their career started. I've done that a few times with some singers over the years um, just to, as a way of just helping and giving back I think it's really important because it perpetuates throughout um, society. You help one person, they help another person, Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. on.
0: Was that also a propellant for you to go into
1: education? I went into education because my teacher said that that's the move. My high school mentors said, really broke it down. They said if you go into performance you're going to graduate and probably not have a job <laughs> <laughs> but i i also i i i do enjoy teaching in high school i um we'd have a, like a little variety show every year and i would always um i'd be in like 10 acts 10 12 acts and i would actually teach everybody how to play their parts and like <laughs> i'd be almost like an md and so like that experience of doing that um uh was impactful to me because I enjoyed that process. I did my senior year, I did a Steve Vai tune and my backup band was all young high school kids. And I I taught them all how to play the parts, right? And like one of them, the bass player, had never played bass before the show. (laughs) (laughs) So like, I I really enjoy uh, teaching and working with people on that.
0: You know, to that, and since you're talking about high school, what, you know, to go into music is as a profession and to study it is is definitely, you know, a lot of people do it. Um, you know, my girlfriend in college was a music major and now she's a food scientist. Like she always had that mm. backup plan. If you're not going to be an educator, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's always that trepidation from parents sometimes about. Oh, you know, you're going to be a musician. You have a fallback plan. What was your mother's reaction when you're like, I'm
1: going to Berkeley? Or, I want to go to Berkeley. I think it just seemed inevitable to her. Like, oh, really? I I mean, I want I was, a, you know, I was I was a weird, troubled teenager uh, in a lot of ways. I wanted to drop out of school and just go to an art school. All I cared about was music. And I actually dropped out of high school my junior year. For the most part, I took oh, wow. I I was homeschooled, and all I did was practice and gig. And I went into school to do music classes. Wow! So my mother, she wasn't like, "No, you can't do that." She was like, You're "Yeah, right. of this course. is like
0: this is this is the this is the avenue that's going to get my son through life." Basically,
1: yeah, exactly. She was like, "Of course, that's that's what's going to happen." It was kind of obvious yeah. to everybody. I I I did Berkeley because. Um, mostly because it had music ed and contemporary guitar. Mm. I wasn't interested as much in classical guitar which um there was literally no other option anywhere to do music ed and contemporary guitar. Yeah. Right? So that that's the reason I went to Berkeley.
0: And I mean, some of the professors there are like, you know, superstar musicians, so. Yeah, they they do the, yeah.
1: they do okay over there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you think if you had gone and studied like you know just say jazz at like a a major school like a big state school or even a private school do you think you would have come out the same way or you think Berkeley really you know changed your life you know in terms of your profession and and, and the direction you ended up in
1: well it definitely helped with my networking in the Boston area it's definitely helped me um, you know get some gigs and and it opened some doors for me Um, it's hard to say, like, what would happen if I went somewhere else. My, um, some other suggestions I had from people was to go to, like, North Texas, mm-hmm. you know, or to go to, I think, Florida State was another one. Um, I don't think that... I don't think that Berkeley had a specific impact on me in in general, in terms of direction, because I was literally obsessed. I, 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 when I, the first two years I was at Berkeley, I lived with this roommate and I didn't have a room. So we had, uh, it was crazy. I can't imagine the perspective from this guy I was living with because, um, I just lived in his living room on the other side of his couch. And I would spend like 12 hours a day transcribing, you know, (laughs) uh before i even got to school i took a semester off before i started school and i would just spend oh, wow. 12 hours a day transcribing zappa oh. music <laughs> <laughs> and and, but wait,
0: and which, which 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 zappa like his orchestral stuff or is like or just general like you know quote unquote mainstream Zappa. the, the most intensive
1: everything? one i i did um, was the black page? I did that, and then oh, I did, yes, yes. Then I did okay. the uh, I did the 1984 version with the guitar solo. I transcribed the entire guitar solo. Okay, um, mm-hmm. I was a really I was an admirer of Steve Vai because that's how he started yeah. with Zappa. Um, so as long as you didn't, as long as you didn't transpose the drum solo into guitar, that would have been insane.
0: <laughs> Terry Basio's uh, drum solo. Well, into I'll tell you,
1: <laughs> I did it with a CD player, which I okay. couldn't slow down. So I would literally yeah, yeah. be like. Start stop <laughs> you know, like I got really good <laughs> good at that um, that was my uh Berkeley audition piece. I went in with the the full I went in um with the full transcription of the black page and everything. It was like five pages of literal black and I handed it to professors and then I played it for him along with the recording oh wow um so I don't think I, I don't think that I would have. Done much different in other schools, you know, in terms of my musical direction. But it's it definitely opened doors in terms of network, and I think that's the real value in Berkeley at this point is is the connections you make.
0: Paying eighty thousand dollars a year to can (laughs) network. Yeah,
1: the the tuition (laughs) went way up after I left, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't cheap when you were there either. So, (laughs) I almost didn't make it because of that like um, at one point I was gonna go back to Maine and go to I auditioned at U Maine. I went in with an eight page transcription of a Joe Pass solo mm-hmm. and same thing I handed them the transcription <laughs> I did and then I played it for them. and I got into there but then like I managed to get enough scholarship money to finish my work. time at Berkeley but I, it was it was real close that I almost didn't make it through because of the cost.
0: As we brought up, uh, you know, we both worked at Apple Farm. You actually started a year before me. And then oh, in 2006, really? you started in 2006. I came in and I was in the same bunk as you were. You we were in the young, you st- you were with Giles in the oh, bunk yeah. 15. And then I came in and was bunk 15 counselor. Mm, and so nice. these kids who were there the year before were like, oh, you're the new Woody. Like, you know, kind of <laughs> deal. Um, which funny. I was not at, at all. And for those of you who who have not heard the show uh you know from the beginning um apple farm is a an arts and music camp in south uh, new jersey and i went there as a camper i know if you've listened to the buzzy cohen episode uh he you know this is a place that a lot of kids from new jersey philadelphia new york area go to for summer camp arts camp how did you find out about the camp and what what kind of brought you in and kind of you know, intrigued you about going there um, because I believe you were probably just turned 20 or were 20 because that's the minimum age that you mm-hmm. could work there how did you end up you know getting involved there
1: uh there was a flyer at Berkeley and I I grew uh, camps always had an impact they had a major impact on my life as I told you in the previous story I went to basically conservatory camp from the time I was 10 through 18 Oh, wow. Um, My life would be completely different if I didn't have that experience. I really value the camp experience. Um, I think it's really important. Um, You know, for me, it was uh, getting away from my normal life and getting to Mm -hmm. explore um, a potentially different identity or a different aspect of of an identity because I'm in a different setting with different people, right? Absolutely. So I saw a flyer at Berkeley, and I was like, "Oh, a camp! That would be amazing!" So I I I applied, and I got in. And um, yeah, I think I taught. I I was there for five or six years total. I yeah, think. well, you
0: yeah. So you were yeah. there. I the years were, you were 2006. I mm-hmm. came in 2007. Yeah, you came back in 2008. Yeah, and that's when we started playing together. Um, with the gefilte frisch combo <laughs> <that> yeah, <laughs> was yeah. was fantastic and super fun um, and then we were both together in 2009 then oh, I took yeah. a year off in 2010 because I had a terrible summer in 2009 I needed a, and I was going through some shit on my own yeah um, and then you we worked 2011 together when you were head of music and then I worked 2012 so I think we both worked five years and three years together though yeah so looking back on your five years there what did you take away as you know musician as a person as an educator from your experience there
1: okay so if we do those three things um as a musician just getting to be around all those you know arts um all all those artists was really inspiring um well and and just uh, i have a question you know Mm -hmm. i don't mean to derail you just real quick oh yeah
0: in terms of in terms of that how, what was it like going from a place like Berkeley and then coming to Apple farm where it's Joe's like me who didn't, you know, I've played music my entire life. I didn't study it to that degree, but then you, you tell me that you love playing with me. Like how, how was that change from going from such an intense place to, you know, to a camp setting where there's great musicians or really good musicians, but maybe not on that level. Like, was it refreshing for you? Was it frustrating? I mean, obviously we had fun, but like, did you, was there any, I guess, what, what were your emotions and feelings, you know, about, well, about
1: that? I, I disagree that it's not on the same level. There's some amazing musicians oh, going yeah. through there. Oh, my I, God. I guess I'm projecting, I'm, I'm just projecting so, my own. <laughs> well, I mean, like, like, you get down there and, and you're right, you, you're, it's hard to look beyond Berkeley when you're there. You think that that's the world, right? But getting down there, there was just so many amazing, passionate people that it didn't matter where I came from, you know, because everybody's so into what they're doing. And there's also this youthful energy, right? Every, for the most part, most of the staff are in their early 20s. So we're all kids, yeah. you know. So I just found it really inspiring. And, and uh, playing with you was an absolute riot for me. There's a, I don't know if you know this, there's a um, video on my YouTube channel I don't. I'm not a YouTuber. I just put random videos up. But there's a video of us playing. I do. I did a solo, um, on a Coltrane tune, and it, what's cool is that I'm doing the solo. You are with me every step of the way. Like you're like you're you're anticipating. Was
0: this, was this was this with the 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 girl in Zynga? Yes.
1: Yeah. So I I just I posted just my solo because I didn't want to post something of other people, right without their permission. Um, but you were with me every step of the way in that video. You're like, you're anticipating my phrasing and stuff and you're right there with me. That's, that's just as good as anything at Berkeley, right? (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I appreciate um, that. So people can check that out. I think it's called Afro Blue Solo.
0: Yeah. I actually have the, I posted the whole video. Yeah. I think on YouTube, I'll, I'll. I'll put a link in. But so the kids, too.
1: The kids are really inspiring, yeah. too. Like, I remember her standing in a field with a real book, just practicing and every spare yeah. moment she had. Some of those guitar players Ned were Holley. killer. Ollie. Remember never, Ned Hawley, the, the drummer? Uh, do I remember Ned? I don't know. Sorry, Ned. He was, he was like... <laughs> he,
0: he he was insane drummer. I looked him up recently. He's still playing, but he was like he was legit. Like I can't teach you anything, kind of deal. Like you were better than everyone. You worked with you probably. I think you worked with Mikey Colton once that that first summer. Yeah. Bass player. Yeah. yeah he's a, he's playing with. I'm doing mock tour now. Like he's like the touring bass player mm-hmm. for
1: him. Like he was the, the kid. Yeah, I remember. There's this one young kid. Joe Bell. It might have been him. He was we we did like a John Petrucci tune with him because yeah, and it was all it was jo- staff jo Bell, backing yeah. him up. And I remember yeah. sitting down with him and like throwing him like a shred lick, and he would throw it right back at me. And I'm like, who is this yeah. kid? <laughs> you know. Yeah. So the it's well, the, the kids were just as um, inspirational as the staff, honestly.
0: Yeah, it, yeah and, and you know uh, that was there's also Ollie Bernstein. I
1: I still keep in touch with Ollie. He just played. Um, some festivals in europe he, he he moved to japan and yeah yeah it, it's it's crazy because i remember when he was when he came in you know we we try and put people together who are stylistically similar in the rock bands but he came yep. in he's like i just want to do japanese metal and i'm like well <laughs> we can do that but we got to do some other tunes too he's like japanese metal all the way like <laughs> and I was, I was like that's so unusual you know to have that deep of a passion for that yeah. that's not part of your original culture right and then he ended up going to japan yeah. <laughs> learning the language and being part of a huge metal band there they're very popular yeah. it's really yeah. cool to see i tell my students in braintree about him every year like like you can you yeah. can do whatever you want if you set your mind to it <laughs> exactly you know
0: uh so it's to get back to now to go back to the question so obviously musically it was, you know, great for you know you and you had a, a wonderful time. You know, as a, as an educator, what was the you know impact? And then uh, you know personally, like how did how did it kind of impact you?
1: As an educator, I, I was very young when I started, so just the opportunity to practice teaching, you know, um, mm-hmm. I would do it completely different now if I ever went back. You know, <laughs> not that I would because I have a kid now, but. Um, you have to wait till
0: he's old enough. Then you can go and you can, he can
1: go for free. Yeah. Oh, well, there people. you go. <laughs> you know, just, just practicing teaching and getting that opportunity to, to work with really gifted kids, you know, that just informed my teaching going forward. Every year I would go back. It would be like this feedback loop. I'd use my experiences from camp as I'm getting my degree in teaching and so I would have these experiences draw from when I'm in classes studying pedagogy, right? Yeah. And, and then stuff I would learn at, at Berkeley, I would bring back to camp. You know, it was it was great. I don't think I would have grown as much if I hadn't had the camp experience.
0: Personally, like, did you, because I know for me, it was a very important experience personally where it helped me grow and like, you know, figure things out in my mid 20s mid to late 20s where i was kind of in flux in a lot of you know areas of my life
1: but what was it like for you personally because it was i mean it's pretty chaotic for me personally like <laughs> not to go into too many details but um, yeah, you know, I, I, yes but I, 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 I had uh you have experiences that help you grow both positive and negative mm-hmm. right so there's experiences there i'll, I'll you know, I'll remember for the rest of my life that, you know, where I'll be like, I'm never doing that again or I'm <laughs> uh, or just connections that I make that were really positive that, you know, help me see different sides of my myself. Yeah. You know? It's hard no, I mean it, you, when you're in your early mid twenties you're still figuring out who you are and what you want and stuff. You're you're yeah. you're barely an adult. So um being around other like-minded people, who were pretty much going through the same thing, because we everyone was mostly the same age. Um, I mean, that's an unbelievably valuable experience. Yeah. You know.
0: So, we're gonna start wrapping things up, but at the end of every episode, I like to ask my guests um, what they've been listening to lately, Mm. um, just to inform other people of, you know, what uh, other people are listening to, because, you know, there's so much music out there. So, Mm. who are three artists, or songs, or albums, or whatever, that you've really been enjoying lately?
1: Honestly, right now, I learn a lot. A lot of what I listen to is for gigs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, um, or we can rephrase it and say, "What are
0: you know? What are three songs, three art, or three artists that you would highly recommend that others listen?" Okay, to?
1: Okay, I will tell you based on my experiences from recent gigs and stuff. I've really come to appreciate R and B music and funk music. You know that it's a whole different heritage and and vocabulary. Yeah, and um, so. When I play something like uh, like a Bruno Mars tune or a Beyonce tune at a gig, I'm starting to really understand the the lineage of where they're drawing their inspiration from and, it, it, and expanding my vocabulary in that. so in, in that sense, what I've been listening to lately is a lot of that, a lot of you know James Brown. I listen to a lot of James Brown lately, um, it's a lot great of stuff to listen to. you know a lot of, a lot of Beyonce, a lot of Michael Jackson. I just saw Beyonce in concert couple weeks ago how was that oh incredible the beehive is an amazing community that's all, you know like okay. when she came on stage it was like jesus just came back from the right, right. like the people were losing their mind it was incredible to see um there's a video i posted from that where she got 50,000 plus people to sing together And modulate. Mm -hmm. They modulated four times. They sang "Love on Top" and modulated without any assistance. Fifty thousand people. That was amazing. To me, that was unbelievable. I was freaking out. Um, My wife was like, "What's the big deal?" And I was like, "You have no idea how insane that is." (laughs) So, um, so yeah, just that that kind of stuff. I I come from. I go through different phases in life with musical tastes. Yeah. Um, uh, So at the moment, (laughs) that's, that's what I'm listening to a lot. Gotcha.
0: Norwood, thank you so much for coming on to the show. This was so great to talk to you again, see you, uh, you know, even virtually. Um, I have such great memories of us, you know, playing music and hanging out. It's so awesome to see you become such, you know, a great educator, great musician and just, you know, keep going and, um, you know, I'm just so happy you were able to come on the show.
1: Well, thank you. This is really fun for me to get to see you again and talk to you again after so long. Catch up a little bit. Yeah. So thank you. Thank
0: so you. no problem. And uh, have a great school year. All right.
1: Thank you, man. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. And special thanks again to Norwood Pearson for coming on to the show. You can follow Norwood on Instagram at Norwood underscore Pearson. That's N-O-R-W-O-O-D underscore P-E-A-R-S-O-N. This is where he posts tons of pictures and video clips of his performances, and you'll get a sense of how great he is as a musician. You can also go to norwoodpearson.com to watch selected clips and find out more about Norwood. We'll also post a link to the YouTube video that was mentioned during the conversation in the episode description, so you can get a sense of what we did when we played together at Apple Farm Arts Camp. If you enjoyed what you heard, I would love for you to subscribe to the show and would really appreciate it if you left an honest review or, you know, just tell a friend or two about us. Either way, it helps us and gets the word out. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, we're on Instagram, threads, and the app formerly known as Twitter at DadRocksPod, as well as on Facebook by just searching up Dad Rocks Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or show ideas, or just want to give a shout, you can email the show at DadRocksPod at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening today, and remember, dads, you rock.